0: Tonight we're going to be looking at a passage from 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, and invite you to turn with me at this time to 2 Peter chapter 1, and looking at the majority of chapter 1 in a sermon that I've titled, Remain Diligent, Remain Diligent, 2 Peter chapter 1. In a moment we'll look at some of these verses here. For all 76 years of his life, Romanian-born Levi Labrescu faced the challenges of life head-on. Livu was born in Romania during the Second World War, and he was confined to a Jewish ghetto while his father was sentenced to forced labor. He survived the Holocaust and was determined to fulfill his desire to become an engineer. And he did, even despite the Communist Party ruling Romania during his young adult years. Livu ended up earning an undergraduate degree in engineering from the Polytechnic University of Bucharest, and then a PhD from the Institute of Fluid Mechanics at Romania's Academy of Science. Livu became a brilliant professor who was widely respected all throughout his country of Romania. But communist rule prohibited him from publishing his research outside of Romania. And taking a great risk, he smuggled his papers out of the country to be published. And after three years of facing challenges and different hardships, Livu and his wife were granted permission to emigrate to Israel in 1978. He then taught at Tel Aviv University for seven years. And after seven years there, he was offered a one-year position as a visiting professor in the Virginia Tech Department of Engineering, Science, and Mechanics. That one-year position ended up turning into something permanent. And Levu became one of Virginia Tech's most popular and well-respected professors and researchers in the field of aeronautical engineering. Throughout his career, he compiled numerous awards and recognitions, all which demonstrated his commitment and his persistence despite the numerous challenges that he faced. Livu was Jewish, and throughout his entire life, he demonstrated the type of diligence that reflects the image of God in human beings. The way that Livu lived his life, overcoming challenges the entire way to give his all to something that he loved, by itself, serves as a lesson in diligence. He continued to teach well past retirement age simply because he just loved what he was doing and he loved the challenge. He wanted to wake up each day and continue learning. In fact, it was his persistence that cost him his life and would serve as the ultimate illustration of what it means to live with no reservations. On a tragic day in April 2007, an armed deranged man entered the classroom buildings on the Virginia Tech campus and began randomly killing and wounding students and staff. Levu was teaching a class of 20 students at the time and as soon as it became evident that the shooter might target his classroom, the 76-year-old professor immediately threw himself against the inside of the door and instructed the students to climb out the window to safety. One of the last students out the window remembers seeing the professor leaning against the door and then falling, fatally wounded by the bullets that came through the door. All 20 students survived. Dr. Ishwar Puri, who was head of Dr. Levu Lebrescu's department at Virginia Tech, said this about the professor. He was an exceptionally tolerant man who mentored scholars from all over our troubled world. Levu was no stranger to trouble, and that is why from his early years he was determined to make a difference in the lives of others in the midst of our troubled world. As believers, we live in this very same troubled world. We're called by God to take up our cross and march head on into this troubled world for the cause of Christ, not knowing that one simple act might lead to someone's salvation. Living a, a life of sacrifice, of diligence, and generous commitment, it requires persistence, it requires, uh, it requires great diligence. The Apostle Peter spoke of the importance of this type of living in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 14. Look at what it says in chapter 3 and verse 14. He says, "'Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, "'be diligent that you may be found of him in peace.'" without spot and blameless. As believers, it should always be in the back of our minds that Christ is returning and could return at any moment. Our desire should be that we are found faithful, that we are found, as it says, in peace, without spot and blameless when he does return. It doesn't matter how crazy this life gets because the opportunity will always be there for us to throw in the towel and to give up. It will become increasingly easy to only focus on ourselves and to neglect the duties and the responsibilities that Christ has called us to live for. But the command there in 2 Peter 3.14 is for believers to be diligent. And we can argue that there has never been a more important time for us to be diligent than what we see going on today. The passage that we're going to be looking at here this evening is actually the first time that Peter spoke of diligence. And it's back in chapter 1. Your Bibles are open here in Second Peter chapter 1. Follow along as I read the first five verses of this book. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. Now, what I want you to notice first of all. As Peter is writing this, he's writing to motivate believers. He's writing to motivate believers to remain persistent, to remain diligent in the work that they're called to do for Christ. Because the more they're focused on following Christ, the less influence the world is going to have over them. So I want you to notice, first of all, why diligence is important. Why diligence is important. He mentions diligence in verse number five, almost as a, laundry list of different items that he's talking about here. He says, And beside this, giving all diligence. But look again at what we see in verses 3 and 4 as to why he says this. He says, Beside this, and that's referring to what he's just said in verses 3 and 4. He says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust there is a lot that is being said here in these verses but there are two main ideas that we can draw from each of these verses and first god offers every single believer everything they need pertaining to life and godliness again it says there in verse number 4 Oh, I'm sorry, verse number three. According as his his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. God offers every single believer everything that they need with regards to life and godliness. And I want you to think about that for a second. Everything that you need with regards to life and godliness. It's not that God is giving us some things pertaining to life and godliness, but all things, all things, There's not one single thing that God has not made available to every believer to live a confident and peaceful and stable life and to live the godly life. Everything you need for life and godliness, God has made available to you. And if you're wondering why you've been struggling through life this entire time without all the things that God has offered to you, you only have yourself to blame. Verse 4 tells us that everything we need, God has given to us through his word. Whereby, it says, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Everything we need is in God's word. Our Bibles are a treasure trove of wealth and information for everything we need to live with confidence and peace in this crazy world. There is nothing else tangible in life that is better, that is more wonderful than the written word of God a while ago Ruthie sent me to the grocery store by myself first mistake Uh, she wasn't feeling good so she sent me to the grocery store And to her credit she made a very detailed grocery list but her mistake was trusting that I could navigate the grocery store on my own I could find the candy aisle no problem but everything else there's an issue for the most part I found everything that she put on the list. And she even did a really good job because she made the list by how I would enter the store. And so everything literally, and, and the the way she she even kind of let me know that I'm, I'm gonna walk in the store this way everything I'm going to need from top to bottom of the list is going to be in order of where I'm going to walk. And as I kind of weave my way through the store, I'm going to knock off every one of those items on the list. And by the time I get to the end of the list, I've made it to the end of the store, I'm checking out, and I'm done. Right? Simple as that. Those instructions she gave me, I'm thinking, a monkey could do this, right? Well, I don't know what that says about me. But I get to the store, and for the most part, I found what was on the list, but so many of the items seemed to be in places that made no sense at all to me. There were a handful of items that I kept looking for, and I knew, based on her list, it needs to be in this general section because there's the next item that I need, here's the previous item that I need, it's got to be right here, I must be staring right at it, and yet for some reason, I just couldn't find it. And as I'm searching for this, walking down each aisle, hoping to eventually spot what I need, that it's maybe going to jump out at me and and just fall into the cart as I'm going down. I will say that I've gotten a little better at navigating the grocery store, but I often feel out of my element when I'm there by myself. It got to the point that I was requiring Ruthie to send me a picture of what the item is. Send me a picture... So I know exactly what I'm looking for. And then she'd even tell me what specific shelf the item was on. Some of you are laughing. I still struggle at times. It doesn't. Are we talking from the top down or the bottom up? Which shelf are we looking at here? And even then, I'd find myself staring at a shelf full of products that all look the same, not seeing the one thing that I needed. By the time I'd make it back home, I felt like I had conquered some great feat though. It felt like I just climbed Everest or you know, something just astronomical when I made it home and I had everything that I needed. Um, There was a great moment of satisfaction as I'd come home and place everything on the kitchen counter, proving to my wife that I was capable to do something. And then on one occasion, those feelings of victory were quickly turned into feelings of defeat when I placed a box of instant rice on the counter and she looked at me and said, instant rice? And I I said to her, the list said rice. I'm not seeing the problem here. Apparently there are many different types of rice. She left it up to me to make the judgment call. She left it up to me to make the judgment call. As to regular rice, instant rice, I'm thinking, I'm gonna save her some time. Instant rice it is, right? I'm gonna be a good husband. Save her all the time of prepping and cooking, whatever you do with rice to get it to where you're eating it at the dinner table. Instant rice, snap your fingers, it's ready, right? That's what instant means. I'm doing my wife a favor. That box is still sitting in our cupboard, I think about a year later. Ask me where to get the best pizza, done, I'll show you. Just don't ask me about rice. Ask me where you find a Bible verse, Lord willing, I can find it pretty quickly. As I think about when it comes to the Bible, God has given us everything we need, it says, for life and godliness. And what's awesome is that it's all packaged in a nice little container here. Everything you need in a small book, everything you need for life and godliness can be held in your hand or kept in your pocket. But even with our Bibles, there needs to be a disclaimer. Many people can be enamored about their Bibles, but not enamored by the Word of God. Many people love their Bibles and yet rarely use them. Some believers will read Philippians 213 which states, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And they think that they can simply sit back in life and let God do all the work without them lifting a finger. These people fail to read the entire context, which clearly explains in verse number 12 of Philippians chapter 2. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now this clearly doesn't teach that we can sit back and do nothing and expect God to do all of the things for us and to clear us up. And just to be clear, when Philippians 2:12 says that we're to work out our own salvation, it's not teaching that we are going to make salvation possible through our works. That phrase where it says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling refers to working on the outside what God has done on the inside. Work it out. In essence, Not work out your salvation and get yourself saved. It is demonstrate that God has saved you on the inside by the work you do on the outside. God has given us his gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And we're to practice diligence in working to perfect ourselves as followers of Christ. If someone gives you a nice sweater for Christmas, it's up to you to wear it. It's a gift that they've given, but you're responsible to actually wear the gift. If someone gives you a book, your responsibility is to read it. We are the recipients of the gift, as he's saying here. God has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, but we must act on the gift so that it's not wasted. That's not, not lost, but not wasted. It produced no fruit, in other words. God has gifted each individual believer specifically and uniquely. And if you don't use those gifts, then those gifts are wasted. It doesn't mean that God takes the gift back. It just means that it never was used for it was for what it was designed to be used for. You never reap the benefits of what that gift could bring you and the glory it would turn in turn bring to God. This is what it means when it refers to working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. When we look at God's word, we have a precious gift that is in our hands, which contains everything we need, as it says here, everything we need, that pertain to life and godliness. But what are we doing with it? Is it a gift that is being wasted as it sits and collects dust more than it is opened up and read? Consider the example of a man named Geoffrey Bull, a British missionary who was taken prisoner when the communists took over in 1949. Geoffrey was kept in solitary confinement in a cell that was really no bigger than a telephone booth. He was there for 12 years. In 12 years, his captors made him subject of constant brainwashing attempts. Not only did they want my confession, he said, they wanted my soul. Convinced that he was a British spy, the Chinese were after him every single day using all sorts of diabolical torture methods. One thing made a difference for Jeffrey though. As a boy, his parents encouraged him to memorize scripture passages. Those verses lived in his heart in the one stronghold that the wardens and all the prison guards could not penetrate, and they gave Jeffrey strength and power each of those 12 years. One night, with the cell doors bolted and locked, Jeffrey knelt to pray in a phone booth of a cell. The guard began shouting through the keyhole You are not to pray! He entered the cell and forced the man from his knees to stand up. Even so, Jeffrey clung to every word of Scripture that he possessed, turning it over and over in his mind and feeling the warmth of God's presence each and every day. God gave him a patience and a peace that few of us can imagine. When he would finish the verses, he would name the names of each of his captors, praying for every one of them. The seeds of bitterness never had an opportunity to find a place in his heart. After he was finally released, Jeffrey faced many months of recuperation. After that, you might have expected him to retire, but not him. He married and resumed his missionary career, and this time he went to Indonesia. There's still more work to be done diligently, was his mindset. Secondly, I want you to notice... The prerequisite for diligence. The prerequisite for diligence. Here in 2 Peter chapter 1, there is a a list of different things that the Bible says we need to add to our faith. But everything starts with faith. In verse 2, we're told it says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace are multiplied, and then a number of characteristics in verses five through seven are added. It says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. And there's several several things that are mentioned: virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. Seven things in all that we're told to add. But it says, Grace and peace, grace and peace are multiplied, these other characteristics are added. When you pay close attention, You see that God is the one doing the multiplying. We are the ones doing the adding. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And beside this, giving all diligence, in verse number 5, add to your faith. God is the one doing the multiplying. We are the ones doing the adding. But everything hinges. Everything hinges and begins with our faith in Christ. In order for us to have everything that we need for life and for godliness, we must first come to faith in Jesus Christ. Only then can we begin to move forward as believers by adding all these additional characteristics to our faith. And the way that we do this is by taking responsibility for our growth, not sitting back and waiting for God to do everything while we do absolutely nothing. So the prerequisite for diligence is that we be saved, that we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Notice third, the principles of diligence. The principles of diligence. Diligence is quite possibly the key to the Christian life. But what does it mean to be diligent? I think we all have an idea of what it means to be diligent. What does it really mean to be diligent? Well, diligence means, pretty simply, to eagerly and passionately give yourself to something. The idea is that you're working hard towards something. I had an old manager who used to tell me, he says, if you're not sweating, you're not working hard enough. That's a good picture of diligence. That you're really eagerly and strenuously giving yourself over to something. Someone had described diligence as a sprinter coming down the final stretch of a race with the finish line in sight. What are they going to do? Are they going to let up? Or are they going to give every last bit of what they've got to strenuously, eagerly, and passionately finish that race the best that they can? They're going to exert every ounce of muscle in their bodies, even when it hurts and it seems like there's nothing left to give. Diligence also means to extravagantly give of yourself. During the Olympic Games, with the eyes of the world watching, each host nation puts on an extravagant show. If you've ever watched opening ceremonies, it's incredible. They, they do so much. It seems over the top at times what they do. They want their Olympic Games, the host nation wants their Olympic Games to go down in history as the best the world has ever seen. For the 2016 Olympic Games, which were held in Rio de Janeiro, over 13 billion dollars were spent, which was about 1 billion less than what was spent for the London Games four years prior to that. Crazy numbers. Many of the athletes that are competing against each other on the, in the Olympic Games, they're already competing throughout the year and throughout the several years leading up to the Olympic Games. They know each other very well, but when it comes to the Olympics, They kick things into a different gear. They know everyone around the world is watching as each nation is competing against each other and the eyes of the world are upon them. They bring things to another level than what they've done throughout the course of the year or the last four years. When it comes to God's word, this is the same idea that we're being told here in 2 Peter chapter 1. We're told that we have all the tools we need for life and for godliness. It's just up to us to embrace it and to unleash the power of God as we make our lives more exciting and more fit for the service of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Many of us end up being motivated more though by our feelings and by our emotions, rather than our knowledge of God and a desire to know more about God. As a result, we're often less motivated to pray, we're less motivated to serve, or to even read God's Word. Is our walk with God based more on emotions and feelings? Are we only following God when we feel good and feel like doing it? When we feel like it's a good time to do so, or is our walk with God driven by faith and driven by the Word of God? Now, I'll be honest with you. This has been a trying week for me. I won't get into specifics. And as far as my emotions and feelings were concerned, there were a lot of things I didn't feel like doing. But the Lord reminded me this week that when I do not feel like praying, that is when I need to be praying the most. We all have days and weeks where we don't feel the victory of our faith, or we just sit back and wallow and want to stay there because of the craziness that is going on around us. Do we neglect serving Christ? Do we allow our feelings to hurt our faith? Strong faith is not based on emotions and feelings, but on the facts of the Word of God. I understand that there's going to be some days where we're physically unable to do something. And I'm not talking about that. Many times, God brings us to the end of ourselves because we do just need some physical rest. And many times, he's teaching us that we need to be dependent on him more. I'm not talking about these moments. I'm not talking about when we... I'm not talking about when we allow our emotions and feelings to bring everything we're doing for Christ to a screeching halt. We're all going to have gloomy days. We're all going to have depressing days. But what we need to remind ourselves as believers is that our foundation is not resting on our emotions and our feelings. They're resting, our foundation is resting on the stable word of God. Therefore, it doesn't matter how we feel from day to day because every day is going to be different. It doesn't matter how, what Satan or the world may throw at us. We're unmovable as believers because we're resting not on our emotions and feelings, but on the solid rock of God's word. Do you know why I love God's word so much? God's promises don't fluctuate based on my feelings. They don't fluctuate based on what kind of day I'm having. We can cling to God's promises and allow them to bring stability back to our life where our emotions and everything else are just out of control. When you're allowing your feelings to drive you, you're going to feel like you're riding a roller coaster without your seatbelt on. You're going to feel completely out of sorts and out of control. When we're living in faith with the word of God, we're standing on a sure and solid foundation. And this is done when you apply God's word to your life. I will admit that I can allow my emotions to come into play as I'm preparing for a sermon as i'm preparing over the course of the week i'm i'm thinking about every one of you i'm thinking about what you're all going through i'm thinking about how I'm going to need to explain something because this person is not going to understand it if I say it this way, so it needs to be explained this way. And I'm thinking about what possible questions are gonna be asked. And so I'll insert something else to explain something that I know someone is gonna have a question about. I'm thinking about all this. There's so much progression. There's so many questions and so many things that are swirling through my mind. And I'm thinking about, is, is it going to come across too harsh if I say it this way? Are they going to take this the wrong way? Is this going to push them farther from serving the Lord? All of these questions are swirling through my mind as I'm preparing for this message. And then there's always a temptation to, you know what, scrap it all. I'm just going to give the people what they want, and I'm going to give them a, a message that's going to make them feel good about who they are, and they can leave feeling happy instead of what they need. And that would be the easy way out. Every preacher struggles with this, but at the end of the day, he knows that God has called him to be true to the word of God. There is a terrible implication for compromising on the word of God and conforming our message to the world rather than letting the message be transforming through the true word of God. And this is what Peter had in mind when he wrote verses 12 through 15. Notice what he says here, 2 Peter 1, verses 12 through 15. He says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Peter here spoke of his tabernacle, which was his body. He knew that he would soon perish. And he wasn't concerned with a feel-good message. He got straight to the point. He was already making arrangements to see that his words would outlive him. And clearly that has happened as we're studying them today. Peter was eagerly and extravagantly training fellow believers in the faith. He was diligent. I want you to notice fourth, the priorities of diligence. The priorities of diligence. Verses 5 through 7 provide for us a list of seven positive traits that we must add to our faith. Notice what these three verses say. Verses 5 through 7, 2 Peter chapter 1. And beside this, giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. These are the elements that should be present in our lives. And we should periodically take some time to see if they are present in our lives. First, he says virtue. Virtue speaks of courage. It speaks of moral goodness. It is having the courage to do what is right, regardless of what the circumstances are. People with great integrity are able to remain constant from one situation and on to the next. They don't allow popular opinion to sway their moral foundation. This kind of virtue develops as we fill our hearts and minds with God's word and demonstrate the mind of Christ and how we live. Virtue is where it starts. Second, he says, add to to virtue, knowledge. Knowledge, now, no secret, that each and every one of us, regardless of how old, how long we've been saved, we all need to continue to grow in the knowledge of God's word. In order for us to continue to live, in order for us to have stable and confident lives, we need, as the song says, to be anchored in the truth. You'll never find a devout believer who doesn't have a deep knowledge of God's word. Add knowledge. Third, temperance. Most of us have no issue with increasing knowledge. But temperance involves a choice on our part. It requires us to think about what we do and what we say. Temperance requires self-discipline. Anything worth achieving in life is going to come through personal discipline and through self-control. and This is the idea of temperance. Fourth, he says, add patience patience is to continually endure hardships for the sake of honor many people have temperance where they're able to maintain a level of self-control but it's patience and that endurance that maintains self-control and gets you to that finish line that you need to get to patience is silencing your body when it begins to complain fifth Add godliness, he says. Godliness refers to fear. It refers to respect and reverence toward God. And it begins to take form in us when we continue in Christ, when we're serving him, when we're maturing in him, and we're following the Holy Spirit's guidance. Godliness doesn't come because, as we talked about this morning, you're a Sunday morning Christian. It comes when you're a Monday morning Christian and a Tuesday morning Christian and an every morning Christian. With the more casual approach to Christianity that we're seeing today, godliness is becoming an increasingly greater quality for us to add to our faith because as the years go by, there are fewer and fewer godly believers. It is the godly believer who is humbly coming before the Almighty God. Adding godliness means that you're daily looking more like Christ. Sixth and seventh, I'm going to lump the two together, brotherly kindness and... Charity. Brotherly kindness and charity. Now, I've included these two together because they are very closely related. They're two separate things, but they're closely related. Brotherly kindness and charity or even love are what truly sets us apart as believers, especially when we're adding them to our faith and adding them to our faith regularly. It is a tribute to the goodness of God if the first quality that the world sees in us as believers is that of brotherly kindness. Jesus said that it is a love for God and for others— on which hang all the law and the prophets. Those are the two great commandments. He says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, and love thy neighbor, he says, as thyself. These two, he says, are the two great commandments on which hang all the law and the prophets. So we've seen the priorities of diligence, but number five, notice the products of diligence. The products of diligence. Several products of a diligent life are listed in the following verse. Look at what we see in verse number eight. Here is 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, For if these things be in you, if you're giving all diligence, as verse number 5 says, and you're adding all these seven other characteristics to your life, if these things be in you, verse 8, and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Diligence, the Bible says, will bring stability to your life. You'll be better equipped to handle the ups and the downs of life. The things that trouble most people will not cause you to stumble like they once did when you're diligent and you're adding these qualities to your life. You're still going to struggle with sin. You're not going to be perfect. But the temptations to sin will be easier to dismiss. Diligence brings stability to your life. Diligence also brings energy. It brings vitality to your life. Look at the lives of the mature believers around you. And you'll see what I mean by this. It doesn't matter how old some of these people are, they'll run circles around the young folks because of how spiritually mature they are and the vitality, the energy that this diligence and spiritual maturity brings to their lives. Some believers have a a bounce in their step regardless of how old they might be. In John 10, verse 10, Christ said that he came into this world to give us life, and he says to give it more abundantly. He's not just interested in us as believers surviving out our time here on earth. He wants us thriving here on earth. When we're adding these qualities of diligence, we will have an energy, a vitality in our lives that will be an inspiration for others to seek after Christ as well. And diligence will also make our Christian life real. It'll make our Christian life real. real. We'll neither be barren, the Bible says here, verse number 8, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of Christ meaning that we'll know Christ deeply, we'll be actively involved in using God's word to bring truth and healing to the needs of the world. It is said of some people that they are so heavenly minded that there are no earthly good. The diligent believer will be heavenly minded to the point that he is graciously ministering to the needs of others, that he is earthly good. And verse number 9 Peter lists what happens when the believers are not diligent. So verse number 8 shows us the products, what happens when they're diligent. Verse number 9 shows us the negative side. It says, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You'll lack spiritual power. Too many believers never mature in their faith and thus lack spiritual power in their Christianity. You'll lack spiritual perception. Again, it says, He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. In this day and age, it is very important for us to have keen eyes. Things are happening all around us, and if we're not perceptive, we might just get ourselves into trouble. We need to be mature enough to see things through God's perspective. Then we'll also lose spiritual privilege. Again, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see it afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. We can't live in such a way that there is nothing distinguishing us from the world. God has given us so much and we need to be living as richly as we have been blessed by God. And then we see God's promise. And this is the last, last point here. Verses 10 through 12. Wherefore the rather, brethren... Give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in in the present truth. This doesn't mean that we're never going to have any more problems. But instead of our problems tearing us down, what this is saying is that God has enabled the problems to become building blocks to help us improve and mature more. Every single believer is heaven-bound. That is a promise of God. But what is uncertain is how that journey will go while we're here on earth. Are we disciplined enough and diligent enough to weather the storms of life with confidence? In the midst of the craziness of life, the message is simple. Love Jesus with all your heart. We don't know what challenges tomorrow holds, but we know we can face uncertain days because Jesus is alive and has given us everything we need for life and godliness as we live diligently for him. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight as we close? Father in heaven, we thank you. Lord, for the fact that these words are true. Lord, that you have given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Lord, I pray. I pray, Lord, for each and every one of us. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to be diligent, diligent in our lives, Lord, to add these different characteristics to our faith. And, Lord, that we might be all that you've called us to be. Lord, that we might be able to hold our heads up high, to march boldly and confidently through this life on our way to heaven because of all that you have given us pertaining to life and godliness, and that is all present in our lives. Help each and every one of us, Lord, in the different areas in which we struggle. Lord, may we work out our salvation with fear and trembling and demonstrate, Lord, that you are everything to us and have provided all that we'll ever need. In Christ's name we pray, amen.